Hello, friend. I'm Ron Jones of Something Good Radio. All Scripture is profitable for teaching and reproof. But let's face it, God gave us a lot of Scripture. 66 books and more than 600,000 words, and it can sometimes be a little overwhelming to read. That's why I wrote my new book, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, to help you navigate your way through the highways and byways of God's Word and see how it all fits together so brilliantly, how every path, every passage, and every page points to Jesus, who is the Christ. The book comes in two volumes. Volume one covers the 39 books of the Old Testament, while volume two takes you through each of the 27 New Testament books. Both are now available to order, and I'd love to send them to you today. Here's Brian with details. The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, Volume 1 and 2, can be yours today by request for your gift of $50 or more to support the ministry of something good. When you order the print versions, you'll also get instant access to the Route 66 Digital Library, a $275 value. The online library includes electronic versions of the book, plus video sermons, audio messages, and downloadable sermon notes on all 66 books of the Bible. Visit somethinggoodradio.org to request the two-volume set and to gain immediate access to the Route 66 digital library. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Pastor Ron, there are so many good books published every year. Why should someone buy The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible? And who did you have in mind when you wrote these literary travel guides through the Old and New Testaments? You know, Brian, your questions make me think of the words of wise Solomon in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 12. Of the making of many books, he writes, there is no end. And oh, how true that is. For what it's worth, as a Bible teaching pastor for more than 30 years, the ultimate road trip through the Bible is my way of helping people understand the overall story of Scripture and how all 66 books of the Bible fit together into a unified work of the Holy Spirit. I wrote with all kinds of people in mind, starting with the serious Bible student, even those who teach the Bible. I'm thinking of pastors, Sunday school teachers, and small group Bible study leaders who might use these two volumes in their preparation. But I also wrote for the person who is just getting acquainted with the Bible, which we all know is the best-selling book of all time. Brian, you can read The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible from beginning to end like any other book, or place it in your Bible study toolbox. I know that if you're a lifelong learner of God's Word as I am, you will return to The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible repeatedly. As companions to your personal Bible study, these books will always help you see the big picture before you dive into the details of any book of the Bible. That's why I'll be ordering my own copy, Pastor Ron. We're so glad you decided to share this important book with us. And you can get your copy today by going to somethinggoodradio.org. Both volumes of this great resource are yours for a gift of $50 or more to support the ministry of Something Good. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or over the phone by calling our offices at 757-276-1099 or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. There are good ideas and God ideas. 
good relationships and God relationships. Today on Something Good, Dr. Ron Jones continues his teaching series, Wise Sayings, Guidance for Everyday Life. Along the way, he'll remind us that the enemy will often use other people, acquaintances, classmates, co-workers, even friends to tempt us to go astray. Stay with us now, but remember you can always listen to Something Good on your schedule. Our audio is available on demand at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. From Proverbs chapter 1, here's Ron with today's Something Good Radio message, Choosing Friends Wisely. Well, the Pilgrim's Progress is a classic allegory of the Christian life, and it was written by a 17th century Puritan preacher named John Bunyan. How many of you have read The Pilgrim's Progress? What you may not know is that Bunyan wrote the book while he was in prison. He was in prison for holding public worship services without the permission of the established Church of England. Can you imagine that? How far we have come since then, and I hope we haven't come full circle or we're heading in that direction, but uh, that's, where, that's where John Bunyan got the inspiration to write The Pilgrim's Progress. The Pilgrim's Progress has been translated into 200 languages, and it's a book that has never, ever gone out of print. Now, the main character in the book is a guy named Christian. It's an allegory of the Christian life, so it doesn't surprise us that the main character is by that name. And Christian has a burden that he's carrying around. He got that burden by reading a book. And allegorically speaking, his burden is the knowledge of sin that he learned about by reading a book called the Bible, because the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so the Pilgrim's Progress is about Christian's journey from his hometown, which he leaves, the city of destruction, and his journey toward the celestial city which is an allegory for a place we call heaven. And along the way, Christian meets a lot of interesting characters. Uh, he meets obstinate and pliable. Uh, he meets uh, Mr. Legality and his son named Civility. He also meets a chap named Evangelist. And Evangelist tells Christian to head toward the wicked gate and lay his burden down there because at the wicked gate begins the long and narrow road known as the King's Highway, and it will take him to the Celestial City. So as Christian is making his journey toward the Celestial City and toward the Wicked Gate to lay down his burden, he, he comes across another character whose name is, can you believe this, Mr. Worldly Wise Man. And he gets in a conversation with Mr. Worldly Wise Man, and the conversation goes something like this. Wilt thou hearken to me if I give thee counsel, asked Mr. Worldly Wise Man upon meeting Christian? If it be good, I will, for I stand in need of good counsel, Christian replies. And so the conversation begins between Mr. Worldly Wise Man and Christian. And one of the first bits of counsel that Mr. Worldly Wise Man gives to Christian is to distance himself from evangelist. He says, avoid him for his counsel. There is not a more dangerous and troublesome way in the world than is that unto which he hath directed thee, and that thou shalt find if thou wilt be ruled by his counsel. Does any of that sound familiar? <laughs> There's a Mr. Worldly Wise Man in every generation and in every culture warning people that Christians are dangerous people with dangerous beliefs. 
And this is where we are in our culture today. And we have a choice as followers of Jesus Christ, either, either, either to listen to the secular ethics and philosophies of Mr. Worldly Wise Man who says, distance yourself from those evangelists and those Bible people, those Christians, or we can choose to listen to the counsel that we receive uh, from this book called the Bible and specifically from the book of Proverbs. Here's what you need to know about Proverbs. You'll never find advice from Mr. Worldly Wise Man in the book of Proverbs. He's far, far away from this, this gritty, useful, everyday spirituality. Proverbs is God's wisdom for the daily grind. That's why we love it so much, because we're all out there kind of grinding away, groaning away in our humanity, trying to make ends meet and raise families and uh, balance our finances and all that. And, and, and Proverbs is just chock full of that gritty, useful, everyday spirituality, wisdom from above, not Mr. Worldly Wise Man, but God's wisdom. And last week, we looked at Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, and, and Solomon told us why he wrote the book of Proverbs and what we can gain from a study of the book of Proverbs. He told us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then beginning in verse 8, he dives immediately into a conversation with his son about choosing friends wisely. A very important conversation for parents to have with their kids and their grandkids, with the next generation. How, how do you navigate your way through life so that you associate with people who are going well, to help you obey God and run with him? as opposed to choosing some other group. Before I get ahead of myself, though, let's just start in verse 8. Uh, hear, my son, Solomon says, hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. I, I love the way Solomon... Uh, kind of arranges the conversation here to be a conversation between a father and, and a mother, between two parents and their son. And so oftentimes throughout the book of Proverbs, you, you hear, my son, my son, my son. Because in the context 3,000 years ago, Solomon is training uh, the next king of Israel, we might say. But this is also the reason I say that the book of Proverbs is the best parenting guide on the planet. I mean, this is, this is going to teach uh, fathers and parents how to have important conversations with their kids and grandparents with their grandkids. My son, hear your father's instructions. Don't forsake your mother's teachings. And, and let me just point out the obvious here, the presence of the father and the mother. Uh, let me say what I'm going to say here with as much tenderness and as much grace and much, uh, as much understanding as I can, knowing that there are no perfect families, not even the Jones family, uh, that there are no perfect children, there are no perfect parents. But in Proverbs here, we, we see the presence of the father and the mother in the home engaged in wise conversations with their children. I wouldn't have had to say this a generation ago, but let me just say it today. It takes a father and a mother to raise a child in God's wisdom. Let me say it again. It takes a father and a mother to raise children in godly wisdom. 
And what we have here is, is, is a hierarchy, as it were, that's assumed in the book of Proverbs where a mother and a father are placing themselves under the authority of God's wisdom, and then children place themselves under the authority of parents as their parents instruct them in the art of skillful living, as we said last time. But it takes a father, it takes a mother. Dare I say, not two mommies, not two daddies. I am very concerned about our culture um, starting another social experiment by people who are not informed by the wisdom from above. Remember, God's plan for marriage and the family is one man plus one woman for one lifetime. And a generation ago, we abandoned the one lifetime part. No-fault divorce became the law of the land. And we engaged in this social experiment. And a generation later, uh, you, you have the breakdown of the family unit and the family home, and you have moral chaos in our society. Now we're abandoning the one man plus one woman part, and there's no telling the ripple effect in our culture and in our society in, in the next generation. It's a social experiment we cannot afford to thumb our nose at wisdom from above that says, son, hear your father's instructions. Don't abandon your mother's teaching. There's a father and there's a mother, both in the home, engaged in the instruction of their children for the next generation, pouring God's wisdom into their heart. Now, I say that again with, with grace and with as much tenderness as I can, understanding there are no perfect families. Some children grow up in broken homes, and you're looking at one that did. My parents divorced when I was in high school. And, and God, you know, is, is, is a father to the fatherless, and, and he, he can make good in a situation like that. And there are a lot of single moms, and yes, even single dads that are doing the best they can. But can I just say a word to single moms and single dads? Don't let your bitterness toward your ex-spouse rob your children of the wisdom they need from both a father and a mother. If it didn't work out for you, you still need to be saying to your kids, listen to your father's instruction. Or listen, don't forsake your mother's teaching. Your kids need that. Still ahead, the second half of today's message with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Need prayer today? Visit somethinggoodradio.org and share your request. And our ministry team will be happy to join you in prayer. Use the Explore option right at the top of the homepage and then just scroll down to the How Can We Pray For You icon. And while you're there, visit the Something Good digital library with more than 500 hours of video and audio teaching from Dr. Ron Jones. Search the streaming library by scripture or topic and find answers to your Bible questions and grow in your Christian faith. Make no mistake, some of the world's wisdom often sounds sensible, sometimes even wise. That's why it's so important to stay rooted in God's Word, so you'll recognize a lie when you hear one. Here's Ron with the rest of today's Something Good radio message, Choosing Friends Wisely. So with that in mind, you, you, you have this hierarchy of structure. You have the husband and the wife in the context here who are, have placed themselves under the teaching and, and the authority of God's Word, and they in turn pass that wisdom on to their kids who live in authority under their parents' supervision for the time that they are in their home. It also presupposes, as you read further in the Scripture, uh, that the husband, the father, is taking his leadership responsibilities in the home, and the wife gives him the space to do so. 
Okay, read about that in Ephesians chapter 5. Because as we read on in verse 10, it goes from here your father's instructions and forsake not your mother's teachings to Solomon taking the lead role in instructing his sons. But before I get to that, I want you to notice Solomon says of this wisdom that is passed down from mother and father, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. I love this picture here. When children obey their parents who instruct them in God's wisdom, they are crowned like victors and heroes. And in ancient times, uh, if a child obeyed their parents and embraced the, the heritage that was passed down to them by their parents of godly wisdom and a godly worldview, it was a reward to wear the family necklace. That's the, that's the imagery in view here when he says, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. They were rewarded with the opportunity to wear the family crest, as it were, to wear the family jewels, to wear the family necklace, because they chose to obey and embrace uh, the godly worldview and heritage passed down by their parents. So different from the crowd today that says everybody gets a trophy. Everybody, every child gets a trophy. We're going to reward a child for just participation. No, in Proverbs, children are rewarded if they obey their parents who instruct them in wise and skillful living, this wisdom that comes from above. That's the picture here. And so once Solomon sets that, that tone, my son, don't abandon your, your father's teachings. Uh, hear your, your mother's instruction here. He dives into one of the most important conversations that parents, and especially fathers, need to have with their children, and, and it's about choosing friends wisely. Listen to what Solomon says. He gets right at it. He says, my son, verse 10, if sinners entice you, do not consent. In other words, you know, Solomon is not, he doesn't stutter, he doesn't hesitate, he's not passive or in a dream world about the realities that his son will step into in this world. He warns his son that there are some people in this world that will entice you to do things that dishonor God. And when those people come around, do not consent. Don't even give them a second thought. I love the way Solomon is not passive. He is engaged in a conversation with his children here. And it's fair warning to us parents and even grandparents. You can't afford to sit back on the sidelines and not know who your kids are running with, to not ask the questions, uh, to not be a little bit nosy about where they're going, who they're hanging out with, who else is going to be there at the party, when are you coming home, better yet, you're coming home at this time, okay? My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. And then Solomon is very masterful in the way he gives voice to this, this crowd, this gang of enticing sinners, and how they lure young people uh, into their, their evil ways. Listen to this in verse 11. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason, like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse, he says. 
it's just masterful the way he gives voice to how this, this gang of sinners will come along, perhaps, and entice your children to join in with their evil ways. And I want to break this down kind of line by line and uh, uh, just, just explore how all this happens. It begins with an invitation. Do you see that? In verse 11, come with us. Come with us. Everybody likes to get an invitation. Every young person loves to get that phone call on a Friday afternoon or that text message from some group of kids that, wow, if I could only be a part of them, to come with us. It's an invitation. And when that invitation is to do something that sounds kind of exciting, uh, the enticement builds. And that's what happens. It goes from invitation to excitement. Come with us. Now listen to this. Let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. There's almost an admission in these words that we're doing something wrong. We're doing something we're not supposed to because of the innocent. We're going to ambush them. That sounds exciting. There's something exciting about doing something dangerous, even violent. Some people are, are just adrenaline junkies, so much so that they just live on the edge and they want to do something violent and to take advantage and to dominate unsuspecting people. So it goes from an invitation to something exciting, and then there's a promise. He says, like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. Verse 13, we shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. It goes from an invitation to something exciting to the promise of easy prey and easy money. Wow, how exciting is that? Come with us. We're going to do something dangerous. We're going to do something we're not supposed to do, and it's going to be easy prey. We're going to dominate those people over there, and we're going to, we're going to fill our house with plunder, easy money. And then it finishes with, with an association, verse 14. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. I circled in my Bible the word us. It appears four times in these verses. And I just wrote a little notation. The power of us. The power of being a part of a group, especially when you're kind of a loner over here and you're not feeling like you're connected anywhere, and some group, some person comes along and says, come with us. We're going to do something exciting, something dangerous, something we're not supposed to do. Shh, don't tell your parents. And there's that power of association of being a part of a group. I remember when I was a, a new pastor, I'd come out of seminary, and my first church was in Houston, Texas, and I got a call from a, a guy who introduced himself as the executive director of the Baptist association. Only it, to him, it was the Baptist association. <laughs> I'm from the association. In fact, the word association to him had one syllable. I can't say it as fast as my friend said, association. But he was after me to be part of the association, to come to the association meetings. You know what I mean? Because we need to associate as pastors. And I came to love and appreciate this guy. He was one of my early encouragers in the ministry, and I loved his passion for Jesus and his passion for the church and his love for pastors, but he wanted me to associate because he understood the power of us. Parents, God wants you to bring children up in the wisdom and instruction of the Lord. Help them choose friends wisely in two ways. First, talk to them. Second, lead them by example. Thanks so much for being here for today's Something Good radio message, 
Choosing friends wisely. To listen to any of Ron's messages on demand, be sure to stop by somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. We're talking about choosing friends wisely. Parents, grandparents, you have a responsibility to be engaged in that discussion with your kids. But it's really, you know, a, a decision and something that we have to practice throughout our lives. Because whether you're in your 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s or 60s, choosing godly associations is important, is it not? Not not that you don't have acquaintances, you know, with unbelievers. I hope you do for the sake of winning them to Christ. But, But the people that are in your closest running group and your closest association need to be people who help you obey God and follow hard after Him. That's tomorrow in part two of Dr. Ron Jones' message, Choosing Friends Wisely. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.